everyone, my name is Austin Killian and I'm a pastor at First Baptist Church in Cleveland. Welcome to the Ex- Exiles Podcast where we talk about life, doctrine, hot topics, and all things Baptist from a gospel-centric point of view. So excited today to have a mentor, a brother in Christ, uh, really a grandfather in the faith, um, joining us today. We've been meeting now for, I guess, two years, two, two, maybe even two and a half years. Uh, just weekly meetings, discipleship, uh, learning under him. Uh, but everybody, I want to introduce you to Brother Tommy Williamson. How you doing, Brother Tommy? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing good. Now, Brother Tommy, you just got back in town from a vacation, am I correct? That's correct. We went to uh, our hometown, our Sherry's hometown, Gunnersville, Alabama. Camped out for about a week uh, on the Gunnersville, Tennessee River. Uh, had some good fun, good times, and eat some good seafood. And now, Miss Sherry told me that she, because she said she went, she wanted to practice and see if camping was something that y'all could do or wanted to do more of. And she said her consensus was. No more camping. She, you, she would much rather get a cabin or something. Is that true? That's true. Uh, she said that uh, staying in a, a camper is just not her uh, thing. She would rather have a way of getting out on the lake. And so we've about decided that uh, we're going to go after a pontoon boat and just <laughs> stay in the cabin and then enjoy the lake. So, yes. Well, when you get the pontoon boat, you let me know, <laughs> and I'll bring my family, and you bring your family, and we'll have a good time. That's exactly what uh, <laughs> she had planned. So Now, you originally went, you wanted to kayak. How was that? Kayak, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, it uh, Gunnersville Lake's a little larger than you want to be out in the kayak with everybody with the uh, jet skis and the other big boats. Uh, sometimes the wakes get a little bit rough, but uh, had a lot of fun uh, kayaking. I yeah. can see you out there right now, probably getting up next to the guy in the jet ski asking if he wants to race. <laughs> no. I bet no. back in the day, I bet you could probably race a jet ski with one of those things. Oh, huh? uh, I don't know. Mine's pretty <laughs> swift. It's not that swift. Yeah. Well, hey, look, uh, this is your first time ever recording for a podcast, isn't it? That's right. It is. Yeah, but your grandson, Blake, he does a podcast with Products of Grace, correct? Correct. Yeah, right. at Mercy Hill Mercy with Hill. with Pastor Lawson, him and Pastor, and Blake's a pastor there, too? Right, he is. So here's what we're going to do now. Now that you're on, we need everybody who listens to both of them to tell us which is better. Brother Tommy or Blake? <laughs> He's going to be better, I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brother Tommy, I wanted to bring you on today because you are a lifelong pastor. Um, many in this area consider you the pastor of pastors. Um, you care for us as pastors here at First Baptist. You care for all the other pastors in the Delta. Um, so it, tell us, one, what's your job here in the Delta? What, what's your title? And then kind of go into what your role is as as what you are well uh our title has changed over the last number of years we've been called directors of missions and associational missions director uh recently we've been given the title of associational mission strategist uh which better defines what we do our role as it is uh, is to make sure that the churches are healthy and provide a venue for them to carry out the mission of the Great Commission Church, Mm. to have a missional mindset 
and literally to be making disciples that go out and make disciples. Mm. Uh, that's pretty much what uh, the strategy is is all about. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, you did recently uh, get certified in church revitalization as well, right? Correct. Which is I would. You know, considering our context, this is a it's a big need. Well, it's an absolutely big need. Uh, when you look at stats from Lifeway and Pew, over half of the churches across America are plateaued or declining. Mm. And uh, the longer they stay in that plateau or declining state, the harder and the longer it takes for revitalization. Mm. But uh, there are great stories of revitalization. Uh, the one thing that is needed for revitalization is desperation, desperate for God to do something and uh, trusting that God will do something. And so uh, it's a much needed uh, thing today across the SBC, uh, just as much as church planning is, church revitalization uh, is right up there with it. Yeah, so is church planning and church replanting are those about the same or do they are they are they cousins how the, how does they work? how are they related uh they're close they're more like cousins than they are uh, the same in church planting oftentimes you're starting with just basically a core group from your uh, mother church as it were mm -hmm. whereas revitalization or replanting is you have a group of people who don't want to die as a church but they realize they need help. And so they reach out, and oftentimes it takes a, a, a new leadership team to take and to give the church new vitality and to give it a new purpose and new goals in ministry as they head forward. Mm. Oftentimes uh, when they church plateaus, it's because they become comfortable with where they are and they forget their calling and their purpose yeah. and their ministry that God has designed them for. Mm. Well, I know you've heard this before, being in your position, that the Delta is a dark place yes. and that it's a hard place for ministry. I've experienced that just a little bit here, and it can be very difficult to uh, in ministry here. Um, but you, you've told me in the past, and I can't remember which convention it was, but the SBC came together early in the 1900s, I believe, and were praying about sending churches to the darkest place in America and at the end of it, they had decided that the Mississippi Delta was the darkest. Am I correct in That's that? That's correct. Do you remember right. which year it was? Oh. I, I always just tell people, sometime in the early 1900s. Early 1900s, 1912, 14, somewhere along in there, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, the convention, I think, was actually held in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And they were looking, at that time, we, it wasn't called the North American Mission Board or, or the Home Mission Board. It was just a a mission emphasis of looking across America where uh, dark spots of lost people were found, and the Mississippi Delta was a part of that. Mm. And uh, it was then, it was early 1900 years, that the uh, church plant really began to take place uh, in the Mississippi Delta on both sides of the river. Yeah, and so out of that, we have, and I'm sure that there were some here before that, but we have 55 churches within the convention or within the association, correct, correct. of the Delta? But uh, that's 52. 52. That's within the mid-Delta. That's, mid that's not the full range. No, no uh, uh, you have the North Delta, which is uh, Cahoma, Quitman, and uh, Tunica counties. Uh, Hank Lee is the director up there. 
and then you have Washington, which is a part of that, and then the Sharky Issaquina, and even a part of the Yazoo is considered a part of that Delta region. Yeah, and so the convention just came together and said this whole region, this whole region needs to be needs to be reached with the gospel. What an right. amazing story! And you saw a lot of church health, especially going into the 30s, 40s, and 50s here right. in the Delta. And I don't know exactly when church health declined, but there it, there does seem to be a reasonable decline across the Delta. That, But it does seem, too, that the Lord has been bringing in people left and right here recently in the last six or seven years of just bringing in faithful pastors who are ready to see the Delta transformed again. So I'm excited about that, and I know you are being yeah. in your position. <laughs> um, well, I think this is a good transition point into our topic okay. today. You know, with it being such, I mean, ministry anywhere, I don't want to, you know, ministry in the Delta is hard, but you know what? Anybody from someone in New York can say it's hard. You know, I think about the pastors in Afghanistan right now. I mean, right. it's it it's hard for them. And hey, if you haven't been keeping up with that, be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Afghanistan. Absolutely. Um, they are going to be facing heavy persecution and heavy trials and and our greatest prayer is that they would find joy in the Lord in the midst of this and they would persevere to the end um, and it's things that here in America uh, we fortunately don't have to face but at the same time uh, I say unfortunately as well because I believe that a persecuted church is also a growing uh, is growing in holiness oftentimes too so oh, absolutely that's a so keep them in your prayers as they continue to seek the Lord's wisdom and as they continue to gather together for worship and and be in special prayer for the pastors over there. I think Gospel Coalition actually, maybe Gospel Coalition or Nine Marks, just dropped out an article on how we can be praying for our brothers and sisters and, our, and the pastors in Afghanistan. So if you want to look those up, you can. But I would encourage you, please be in prayer for them. Yeah, the Mississippi Baptist Convention also dropped a uh, link to how you can pray for the pastors and the Christians uh, in Afghanistan okay. as they uh, maneuver this transition uh, in government. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so today's topic for those of you who are listening is we're, we want to talk to you uh, specifically about how church members can reach out and encourage and pray for and just be a blessing to the leadership within the church, in particular the pastors. And so, Brother Tommy, you you were a pastor for several years yes. before mm -hmm. before you took this position uh, here in the Delta. And so I just I want to ask if you would be open, transparent with us just for a minute about maybe some of the struggles that you shared, uh, you had as a pastor, and then how many of those struggles are common amongst most pastors today? Well, uh, actually, the, the struggles are, are pretty much common for all pastors today these are things that uh, men who answer the call and it's a uh, uh, there's a book out called uh, the dangerous calling uh, it is it's a dangerous calling when you enter into vocational ministry uh, because of expectations that are put upon you uh, you know every day you wake up with a struggle of balance uh, how do I balance family and ministry uh, because oftentimes the church puts great expectations on you. And uh, one of the sad statistics that we see today is how that if the balance is not kept, uh, preacher's kids are called PKs. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> what we see is we see a, even today a lot of the PKs are not in church anywhere. And I think part of that goes back to the fact is that in that struggle of balance between ministry and family, uh, oftentimes pastors, because of the expectation, uh, they put more emphasis toward the church than they did toward their own families. And at some point, the, the children begin to resent that fact. Yeah. Know? So uh, I think that's one of them. Uh, guarding your study time. Uh, pastors wear so many different hats, especially if they are a single staff kind of guy. Uh, I mean, you're expected to be the administrator, the counselor. Uh, you're expected to, to, to be the building maintenance supervisor. Uh, and sometimes you can get so busy doing good stuff around the, the building and around ministry that you forget the importance of your study time. Mm. Because if you're not studying consistently uh, the Word uh, expositorily, then there's no way on Sunday morning you're going to be ready to feed the flock. Right. I think that's why you find a lot of pastors today that deal with uh, what we might call topical subjects because a topical subject is a lot easier to prepare than expositional study where you do the word studies, you do the phrase studies, you do the contextual studies. You, uh, you want to make sure that you get the narrative that's in Scripture right, keeping it in the context of, of that yeah. time. So uh, guarding your study time has always been a, a struggle. Which uh, is, to, you know, to that point, I mean, this is a big reason why the apostles in the early church Asked the church to select servants, deacons, absolutely, yeah, and so that they could devote themselves to prayer and the word, and to the word, you absolutely. know. So yeah, uh, I think we struggle about the health of the church. Mm. You know, when I think about what our statement is, is that we want you to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, every Sunday morning, you look out and you have to ask yourself the question: Where are they on the spiritual scale? Yeah. Are they growing? Am I providing an environment for them to grow? Is the church really a missional-minded? Does it have a biblical worldview? Uh, because what you find is churches that plateau oftentimes are churches that are not healthy. They've lost a vision. They've lost their, their goals. They've lost their purpose, as it were. And they just kind of get caught in a mode of going through the motions without really being concerned about the spiritual health. And after long periods of time, what you, you see is as the spiritual health declines, then that's when it's time for the revitalization. So you, mm. you, you get up every morning and you worry about the, the spiritual uh, health of the church. Uh, you're really concerned about making sure that you feed the flock on a consistent basis. Yeah. Uh, that means Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays. Uh, you want to make sure that they are plugged into the Word yeah. and uh, because it's by the Word that they're going to uh, be growing. Uh, I think one of the fears that I had uh, early days and have grown to uh, accept it a little bit more today in the fact is that ministry is not about me. Mm. You know, I think sometimes... Uh, pastors get to thinking about, well, ministry is about us. Uh, but ministry is not about us. It's about him. It's about the kingdom. It's about the gospel, you know. And 
I think uh, when John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he must increase, uh, oftentimes pastors are put in the spotlight, the limelight, and if they're not careful, they will fall into uh, the temptation of Satan and think, well, you know, this ministry is about me. If it wasn't for me, it wouldn't survive. Mm. But uh, that's not the case. It's uh, it's God's church. You know? Yeah, I mean, and and sometimes, like, we forget, you know, oftentimes, or when we read Timothy, we see that Paul, he talks about, hey, hey this person should not be a new convert, lest he fall into the snare of the, of the devil, right. right? Right. But I think that we can... You know, our pride can get in our way, you know, if we have been converted for, for a while and we have grown in maturity. Even mature believers can 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 fall into that same snare, that same trap. And so, you know, we got to we got to be careful with that. I think another thing, too, like you, I want to go back. You said talking about the busyness. Oh, yeah. Talking about the busyness of life. This is I've, I found this article a couple of weeks ago. And it's Charles Spurgeon's weekly schedule. Mm. Okay, so I'm just going to read Monday and just know that every day until Saturday was just as busy. He wake up early, revise uh, stenographers, I don't know, transcriptions of yesterday's sermon, write, dictate letters, and personal correspondence. After lunch, com- complete revision of the first draft of sermon, then send to the printer. 5.30 p.m., 7 p.m., lead the prayer service at the tabernacle, conduct interviews for membership at the tabernacle, preach an optional late-night service. I'll read Tuesday as well. Wake up early, revise the second draft of sermon, 11 a.m., complete revision of second draft, then send sermon to the printer, write, dictate letters, and personal correspondence, lunch, research, write books, magazine art, write books, magazine articles, and other literary works. Um, afternoon, pastoral care, counseling, the tabernacle. Evening, preside with, over tabernacle, societies, and charities. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are just as filled with stuff. With the seminary that he started when he was 20-something years old. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he had a lot going on. And then Saturday, Saturday at 10 p.m., Prepare tomorrow's sermon. <laughs> right. So it, from 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. to, to 12 a.m., he prepared the next the next Sunday sermon. And what he would do is he would read it to his wife, and she would correct him right. on things that she felt needed correcting. But I just thought, you know, like uh, if you're not careful now. N- n- I believe that the Holy Spirit really blessed Spurgeon to be able to do that. I don't think Oops. that that's a normal pastor. Right. Um. But his week is can't is as busy as many pastors' weeks are, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and and so and on top of that, you have to find the time to do sermon prep because we can't, we're not like Charles Spurgeon, oh, no. you know, by getting two hours late at night. No, but he got up early every morning and his first hour was spent in prayer. Mm. You know, uh, that was not a part of his, what he would consider a part of his schedule. That was a part of his devotion. That was part of his life, yeah. That was part of his life, you know, so... Uh, he spent those early hours in prayer, uh, seeking the face of Lord, the Lord. Uh, he uh, is a unique theologian, mm. uh, without a doubt. Yeah. You know? So I, don't please don't hear us comparing. I don't hear me comparing him to like people, other pastors today. I, like I said, I believe that the Lord just really blessed him, uh, well, and yeah. and gifted him in ways that that many people aren't gifted. It's not normative. Um, well, uh, he was disciplined in his day. Yeah. And I, sometimes I think today, 
that's the one trait that is missing from some uh, of the men in the pastorate is the disciplines. Yeah. You know, uh, the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study, quiet time, solitude. Mm. Uh, you find Jesus getting off in solitude. Spurgeon would get off in times of solitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things you, you never read about Spurgeon was a sense that he ever got comfortable in ministry. Yeah. And if you, I think sometimes we can become comfortable in ministry that can lead to a sense of laziness if we're not careful. Right. And if we're not feeding ourselves, if there are times when we are not listening to podcasts or to other sermons or we're not, what kind of books we're reading, uh, it amazes me, Al Moore uh, at Southern Seminary, uh, the volumes of books that he reads every year. Uh, just simply to keep up not only with the things that are going on in the world, but you name it, he reads it. Uh, and uh, I don't think you would ever see him becoming comfortable yeah. uh, in the ministry. Right. You know? Well, these are the struggles and the temptations that pastors right. face. Now, you know, so don't hear us say that this is what all pastors do. This is just struggles and temptations that we face. Um so here's the question, how, well, you know, we, we can talk to one another about how, what pastors need to be doing to be persevering in the faith, to, to really run our race well. And, and really, I think that it starts with prayer and devotion to the word, right? right? If we are not desperate for the Lord in prayer, then I don't expect for my ministry to be blessed. And I don't expect uh, for my, you know, for me to be blessed either, right. you know, so I think we need to be desperate for the Lord in prayer and asking the Lord to do work. And I think when you do that as as pastors, that's when you hit that 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 state of humility that we see Jesus and you know on our knees in prayer, asking the the Father to to please come and and help us with this Holy Spirit. And so, right. Um, but but as church members, you know, how does a regular church member? How can they encourage and pray for? their their pastor to help them fight these temptations and these struggles because this is what i think about i think about moses raising up his his hands in the right. middle of the battle uh the the reference just left me i can't think of the reference now in exodus it's, yeah. yes it's in exodus he's he's got his hands lifted up and god says as long as his hands are lifted up you will win the battle um and his arms began to get tired and they began to fall and so men came behind him yeah. and held his arms up uh, so that they would continue on and persevere through the battle. And so I guess my question is, uh, I think oftentimes pastors pastors can be in that position. We, we're, what we're asking is how can church members come and hold their arms up during the battle? Right. Uh, there's a couple of passages uh, that I think about. You know, in the Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, uh, Moses is talking about, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May you have peace. I think the application for pastors would be this, is that as church members, we ought to have a heart of gratitude for the shepherd that God has placed upon us. Amen. And we ought to be a blessing to them. They're a blessing to us as they study and prepare and feed us every Sunday morning, every Wednesday, uh, every Sunday night when they're made, they make the calls, uh, when they come to the hospital. We are, sometimes we 
I know across the the Southern Baptist Convention we have October is Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, and we may do something, or some churches may do something for their pastor that month, uh, and they say, "Hey, we're glad you're here," you know. But it's more than a one month thing. I mean, we ought to have a heart of gratitude for them, thanking them for what they do. Yeah, you know. And, and but as much as they are a blessing to us, we ought to be a blessing to them. Uh, there are times when we ought to say, "Hey, you need to get away." Yeah, you know. If we've got people in the pulpit that uh, people in the church that can fill the pulpit, hey, get away. We'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing to you, uh, cost to you or to the church whatsoever. Uh, I think that's one. Uh, Joshua one nine when they went into the uh, promised land, uh, the Lord told Joshua to be strong and of good courage. With all the things that are being faced today, especially with the COVID pandemic and the uprise that's taking place right now with the Delta variants, uh, pastors are struggling. Uh, do I shut down? Do we keep it open? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Hours, uh, hours of meetings and knowing that no matter what side you choose, somebody's going to oh, yeah, hate th- you th- for There's it. not a right side. Yeah. You know, uh, so they need to, we need to pray for the Lord's strength for them. You need to be strong in the Lord, and you need to have courage. Yeah, you know, uh, and sometimes they're they're not going to make the right call, uh, but sometimes they're going to make the call based on the wisdom and the prayer uh, that God has given them. So we need to pray for that. Uh, we need to pray uh, in Proverbs. It talks about in chapter three, verses five and six. It talks about direction. Uh, we need to pray that uh, our pastor and our pastors are in tune with God in the direction that he's leading the church, mm. uh, that he's leading them. Uh, uh, so so oftentimes it's easy for us to get sidetracked on the, the uh, peripheral things. And uh, so we need to pray for that. God would give them a, a clear vision. Yeah. Uh, we need to pray uh, that uh, God would give them renewed strength in Galatians 6, 9. It talks about uh, uh, as they grow weary in ministry, then the just like you talked about as Moses lifted up his hands when uh, uh, Aaron and Hur came alongside of him and lifted him up, uh, we need to be there to help lift those up and, and pray that God would renew them. There, that's why there's times when pastors need a sabbatical. Uh, they need some time away in order to be refreshed. Yeah. I mean, they're like a sponge. Uh, people are squeezing them continually, and they're giving out and out and out and out and out. And unless they're given the opportunity to be refreshed and renewed, then you can just squeeze a sponge so much to get what's out of it. It's not right. to be uh, used and, to soak something and up. And can I say, too, I, from a pastor's position, and you know this as well, we want we want to be squeezed out. We want to be run dry. We want we want to pour out all that's in our cup. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to leave anything left um, to you know to question. Right. And so, yeah, we 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 do want to be refilled, but uh, we find equally as much joy in pouring out. But if our cup stays dry, that's where you see burnout. That's where you see pastors beginning to walk away from ministry. Right. And uh, we don't want to be a church, not just at FBC, but also you know, throughout, throughout our country and throughout the world, pastors everywhere, we don't want to be a, a body of believers who are known for running out their leaders. That's right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
we need to realize that they are uh, God's gift to us. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we pray for that. We ought to pray for in First Peter five eight. It talks about the devil as a roaring lion. Uh, pastors and staffers have a target on their back, mm. and so we need to pray for uh, protection from the enemy. Uh, boy, Satan's going to assault their family. He's going to assault them emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Sometimes he'll assault them physically, and so we need to to pray for that protection. Uh, Romans 1, uh, 11 and 12, we need to pray for their uh, spiritual encouragement. Uh, you know, uh, they need to be growing as well. First uh, Timothy 3 talks about we need to pray for their families, uh, you know, uh, their sons and daughters, their children, their wives. And I think that's probably one of the neglected areas today. We probably don't pray for the pastor's wife enough. Her, You know, she sometimes, I'm sure, feels like the outcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, you see my husband all the time. You see my ch- our children all the time, but sometimes I'm relegated to, let's say, the back seat of the bus, and yeah. so you know they won't see that, you know. And uh, uh, but what people don't realize is this: is that husband and wives are teams. Mm. They're uh, the a chosen dream team for that location. And yeah. So. Well, I, I think on the encouraging end. So just as a pastor, if you're a pastor listening or if you were a pastor listening, whatever, um, if you've been in ministry, you know encouraging is is important, being encouraged by the church. So this is what I do personally. Um, I'll tell you what, what, one of the most faithful saints I've ever met is Brother Jimmy Breland. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, he he's a member here. He's been in ministry. He's 94 years old, but he's been in ministry uh, for over 70 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he every time I've preached, I've he has handwritten a letter to me. Uh, either the letter has a prayer, or it has just a comment of encouragement. And and I've received many letters or many gifts from church members or something like that. And if they're letters, if they're, if they're letters or something of appreciation in that sort, what I do is I have a folder of encouragement, uh, and so I slide all these notes in there. And so if I'm ever in a in a state where I am down in ministry and I'm and I'm hurting, I'll pull out that folder and I'll just read through and it's the Lord reminding me of his faithfulness and the and the good that is happening through the ministry. Um, because I think oftentimes, you know, we can get caught up in the now. All right. You know, everything right. bad is happening right now, so everything in my ministry is bad. But but if you're able to look back at these stones that the Lord has laid behind you in your past, you can look back and say, no, 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 the, the, there has been benefit. There has been fruit. And, and these, and God has allowed these people to be evidence of that, that fruit as well. So, you know, I, I would, I would encourage anybody who's listening, write a handwritten letter, give your pastor a call, invite your pastor into their home, right? You know, in, or into your home, not their home. Don't right. invite your pastor into their home. They're already there. Invite your pastor into your home and just just to let them know how much you love them, how much you care about them, you know, and, and you know, give them a hot meal every now and then. I, I'm saying that because I like food. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 those little things like that, they're really encouraging. In fact, we have our secretaries here at the, at the office. Every time a, one of the children's staff uh, or one of the staff's children has a birthday, they buy them a birthday gift, mm. and it's from both of them. 
and they don't have any children on staff themselves, but they right. do it for them. And they're probably going to do it for my dog when my dog turns a year old. <laughs> but they're just th- that's their way of encouraging encouraging our families, and it and it really is a blessing. You know, I think that's the, the key uh, is, and Brother Jimmy is an outstanding example of that. The handwritten note. It goes so much further than a text uh, from an email, but just to getting something in the mail that's old-fashioned as a handwritten, hey, thank you for Amen. what you do. Uh, it's an amazing encouragement. Uh, I go back every once in a while. I'm like you. I go back every once in a while. I have folders uh, where I've pastored before, and it's the children's notes that mm. I pull back yeah, out. Yeah, I, I have those too. The and little colored, uh, little yeah. colored notes. Oftentimes, <laughs> they'll be, uh, brother, time we were praying for you. There'll be pictures of me in the pulpit and things of that nature. And I cannot tell you how refreshing that is, mm. even after these years. Yeah. And but now with media, I look back, uh, and I see. I'm so friends with so many of the of the kids that used to be kids now they're adults and i look back and i see where they are where they're serving what god's doing in their life and man you get excited yeah. about those things you know you think yes lord it's been worth it all yes you know? amen and so i think another thing too you know it's okay to embrace your pastor and what i mean oh, by that it's okay to, like now don't don't overdo it you can get uncomfortable at that point but man give your pastor a hug i mean a hug goes a long way it sounds weird, but I really, I really do think you know, just a, a, a hug that shows I, I love you as a brother in Christ. I am here for you, and I want you to know that you know I love you, and I'm, and I, and I love serving you, and I love coming underneath and listening to your teaching, like those. And that's in person. That's a more face to face. And then when you see them face to face, it's okay to say, Hey, brother, can I just pray for you for just a moment? Right. Now, I've never been more blessed than when church members stop in my office and just pray out loud over me. Right. To, to have someone intercede on my behalf and to say and to and to hear what they're praying for me, it it really does mean it really does mean more mm-hmm. uh, when they do that. And so there is and th- there's a reason why I wanted to say that. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this: Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls mm. as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so there's this dual thing, you know. Right. We we want our pastors to be filled with joy, uh, and that and and the way that that happens is when the church is encouraging them, when the church is praying for them, when the church is following them well and their leadership and their vision, like you were saying, when the church is caring for their family, those are ways that can bring joy to the pastor as he is pouring out his cup back towards the church. Um, but it says at the very end, if if he were to do his job with groaning, in other words, if the way, if the members treated him in such a way, if the body treated him in such a way that he did not find joy in his work, right? the Bible says that would be no advantage to the church. There, there. It's it's pretty much vain work at right. that point, and so it it's almost like it's essential to the health of the body that the leaders of the body would be filled with joy in their work, and not with groaning. And so we don't want pastors to be going through things uh, alone, and we don't want pastors to be going through things 
in vain. We right. w- we want there to be purpose. We want there to be vision. We want there to be kingdom advancing. We want there to be glory to God in their actions, in their lives. And so the only way we can do that is by lifting our pastors up and, and trusting the Lord to bless them and to bless the church through their leadership. Yeah, I don't think we take the latter part of that verse uh, too seriously when it says they have watch over our souls, uh, that God holds them accountable for how they minister to our soul and our spirit. Mm. Uh, because even though we are responsible for our maturity, they are also responsible for how they feed. Yeah, uh, I think that's why Jesus three times in uh, John's gospel, chapter 21, I believe it was, he said to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, you know, I think it, it reiterates the importance that all of us will stand in the, uh, in an account, give an account for ministry. Yeah. And God's going to say to us, not our sin, but he's going to say, you know, I gave you a church of a hundred. How did you feed their soul? Mm. You know, third John, as John writes that little epistle, he makes a statement. He says, I pray that you prosper as good in your health as you are in your soul and your, mm. your spirit. And to understand that every Sunday morning when our pastors stand up, they are preaching to an audience of one. They're preaching to the Father. Amen. But they're at the same time, God holds them accountable for how they are ministering to the spiritual children and yep. flock that he has set before even to the lost of presenting the gospel in such a what they would call a winsome way that it is attractive and it draws mm. you know and so that's a and he's supposed to do that with joy yet it has it's has it carries with it such a heavy a, burden a heavy burden but the implication yeah. a burden a burden that we can gladly give to jesus Absolutely. because jesus yeah. is the great high chief Absolutely. the great the great shepherd he is yeah so why don't we end it with jesus is better than any pastor huh? <laughs> because he is absolutely he is you know yeah. with all the burdens with all the with all the busyness Jesus, Jesus can give us rest. Jesus can give us ultimate rest. Absolutely. And that's not just for the pastor, but that's for the layman as well. I think that's it. Uh, Brother Tommy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invite. Yes, you have been such a blessing. Guys, thank you so much for for listening today. We're going to see you later. Uh, Have a great week. Peace.